Hey there, and welcome to You Talk. We highlight stories from across Canada, the diverse cultures and communities living here, and individuals and organizations that help make life the best it can be. I'm your host, Ryan Funk. Lisa Moosewagon is a Nakota Cree member from Cross Lake in northern Manitoba. She was raised in the north, the Interlake region, and Winnipeg, and went back to her home community to complete high school. At a young age, she received a gift of the hand drum from her father, and has been performing ever since. Helen Back, also known as Carmen, is from the Samsung Cree Nation in Alberta, a veteran in the native hip-hop industry. Carmen has come a long way. Helen Back first gained international recognition as a founding member of the groundbreaking group War Party. I had the opportunity to chat with both Lisa and Carmen about music, culture, and Carmen's kidney journey. Hey, how you doing? My name is Carmen James Amiso. Uh, they have people known me as Helen Back uh, from Samson Cree Nation out of Hobima, Alberta, Muscogee, Alberta. And uh, I've been a chronic kidney patient since July 11th, 2019. And a hip-hop artist for the past, oh wow, <laughs> three decades. So. Mm-hmm. And my name is Lisa Maswigan, and I am a member of the Pemichigamac Cree Nation, also known as Cross Lake in Northern Manitoba. Um, I've been raised in Winnipeg, the Interlake in Northern Manitoba, and I've been an artist for, well, I guess a performer for um, since my early teens. And um, I started doing, becoming like full artist, I guess, in 2017, I decided to take the leap. And um, I've just been, uh, right now, I'm just, uh, just trying to get through the pandemic. <laughs> As are we all. As are we all. <laughs> uh, so, Carmen, what, what brought yeah. you to uh, Manitoba? Uh, you're talking to her. <laughs> Honestly, like I've been in Manitoba what 19 years, and the reason that I came here was was uh, my wife. Uh, she was my girlfriend at the time, uh, but we took the leap, and um, I was okay. In- okay, okay, let me I- restart this story. <laughs> my husband was uh, <laughs> actually no, just kidding. <laughs> okay, so my husband was um, in a group called War Party. And he came to the city to do a performance through APTN. And at the time, my uh, one of my friends worked there and mm-hmm. needed needed some audience per, like to come in and some seat and, fillers. Yeah, seat fillers. <laughs> 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 but he, um, I, I, uh, I went in um, and and seen this group performing, and I was like wow, that's that guy I seen on TV when I used to live in my home community <laughs> in my teens graduating high school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that I seen her um, when I was doing the show. It was like when she walked in, I'm, I don't want to like cheesy, but when she walked in, like everything just kind of blurred out. I can just, I just focused on her the whole time. And this is at a time when CDs were like the biggest thing ever. Everybody loves CDs. So we had a bunch of CDs and I kept throwing them, throwing them her way. Like I was trying to get her attention through the whole set. Like I was, and they were just smashing around her feet. People diving, <laughs> people were grabbing, people diving and grabbing them and all sorts of stuff. And she didn't even notice. <laughs> and I was like, okay. But so then I seen her walking around after the set, and I just, you know, 
I, well, it was the most nerve wracking thing ever, but I, I, I went and talked to her and the rest is history. You know, we, we took our, I definitely understand that experience when you, you meet someone and you're just like, Oh boy, <laughs> all the feelings coming up. <laughs> yeah. That she, she, she still gives me those feelings every day. You know? Oh, that's great. That that's, that's what you want in a relationship. You want to have those like kind of uh, butterflies in your stomach at all times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's still very sweet too <laughs> what made both of you want to go into music well in my case um, I was always a performer and um, I wanted to expand more but I noticed that like like there were other avenues to take and that was to become an like well to take the leap I guess and um I and be an artist and so that was to open myself more like I I, I consider myself a contemporary hand drum singer um, I'm not a traditional hand drum singer and I guess the difference with that is that um there's like traditional drumming with traditional songs and um as for me in my case um I was I'm also a songwriter I i I found that I had talent in writing. I had talent in making music. I had talent in hearing songs and um, just just manipulating sound and and just trying different things, working with different people in my earlier time. And then um, in 2017, I went through a really deep grief process. My cousin uh, passed away from kidney failure. And so I... It was really hard on me because um, I grew up with her and um, we grew up very closely when I lived back home in my community. And so to um, have a loss like that was um, tremendous for me. And so at the same time, I decided to go back to university to get my business degree. So I went in with um, feeling grief. And so as I, I guess I was processing grief, um, I had a creative outlet at the same time and, and all of a sudden I just had a flow of, um, songs and melodies I wanted to try. And, and then I, I, I just started having a story and planning and I kept telling my husband who was always cheering me on for years and years on end to do it. But, um, finally I just, I knew the time would come when I'd be ready. And so I just did it and I made my album uh, in 2017 and um, it earned two nominations like that year and so it really inspired me to um, do more in music where now I um, contribute my sound and my style of song and music um, to like more outlets like hip-hop um, I recently contributed uh, or I recently was part of a project um, with the Splice app, with um, uh, um, this one of our friends, his name is PJ Vegas. He's actually um, what's his dad's name? The son Redbone. of yeah, the son Redbone. of Redbone. And so and so he he uh, approached and and um, had this had this project going, and so I contributed my sound to it, and it was the Native State of Mind Sound Pack. And so that was put on the Splice app and that's available for beats and produce make, uh, producers all over the world. She, she's me, Marcus. It's, it's the first of its kind. 
It's the first of its kind beat pack. Yeah. And it's available for every producer in the world. And it's right now, I think it's sitting at number six on the downloaded beat packs on, on Splice. That's so cool. That's so cool. It, it's it's really crazy. It, it, and, and Redbone, I mean, obviously, you know, come and get your love. But that's that's who uh, PJ Vegas's father is. Um, so singer, yeah, yeah, it's, Patrick it's so, Vegas. Like, yeah. They've been it, it's deep rooted in music, and it's and um, the guys who did it, uh, it, it's it come from Los Angeles, you know. So to for her to be a part of that is just like to me still mind blowing. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. Know? So it's exploring. So I think I'm the only one from Canada too. Mm-hmm. So so there is uh, there was five of us artists that contributed, and I think I'm I'm the one from Winnipeg, Manitoba. And I think in Canada, I'm I'm, I'm pretty no no. Then the other ones in Alberta, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, well, like even being like one of two uh, people from Canada <laughs> being yeah. like re- represented in there, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I take risks too. I took mm-hmm. a risk, right? Because um, I'd like there's other categories of music like powwow round dance um uh hand games stuff like that um but mine and then there's like like all different types of drumming but because of my upbringing and ceremony and traditional way and the stuff i was um i guess exposed to help create that um found that creative foundation for me to learn how to dissect music and sound and use my own Mm-hmm. sounds and yeah so um the only thing is is that I'm, I'm on a language journey so i'm i'm learning how to use language to in my songs mm-hmm. oh that's that's yeah. so cool that's such an amazing journey and yeah I, I i know um the way you're describing how you've uh learned about your music that's kind of how um i talked with marco castillo uh, a local uh-huh. brazilian musician here he was saying you can't be a great musician unless you know how to listen. Yeah, yeah. So I was really young when I heard songs and then um, I used to try to sing um, with the with the males. So in powwow, you'll notice that the males sit at the drum and um, there's like rules in our culture that women aren't allowed to sing with it. There's all sorts of things that go on. Um, but I remember being a young woman singing with a bunch of men and we are singing at a powwow and the, it was a men's dance category. And we were all up to sing. We were singing our heart out the best that we could. But the men didn't want to dance because there was two women at the drum. And so, like, I wasn't going to let that defeat me there because I knew I was talented. And so what my dad did was he, um, um, I sort of let it discourage me. But I had that determination that I was going to overcome that. And then, so my dad made me a hand drum and gave it to me for Christmas <laughs> yeah. when I was like 13 years old. And at that time, you want a Walkman, you want a VCR, <laughs> you know? And then, so I, I, I didn't get that. I got a drum. So it, it kind of forced me to, well, what am I going to do with this? And then, so I just started hitting it and learning, learning how to, do sound and and my dad was also a musician he was a drummer he played for a band and his uh when he was younger so there was that inspiration of music that we were exposed to i grew up around oldies the eagles the beatles everybody so my dad always kept in tune with like the drum and wanted me to play so the drum was kind of implanted in my upbringing and then yeah um, it was kind of like a, a 
an element of your being. And then my grandmother was the one who would, um, how do you say that, validate my feelings by saying like, you know, the drum comes from the woman and would explain the ceremony teaching or, or, and the story that came with it. And so again, it just validated what I wanted to do because I've had men approach me telling me that I wasn't able to do what I'm doing. Right. And then so, so sometimes some people argue that it's colonization and that all these rules came and that, you know, like, yeah. So it, it gets really complicated as you explore more, but I was like, you know what? I just want to make music. I have the sound. This is what's in my head. This is what my DNA is saying. These are what the ancestors are telling me. This is my spiritual being, being and this is who I am. <laughs> and if you don't like it, you don't have to listen to it. <laughs> so is it sort of like a, a taboo for uh, women in your culture to play the drums? Yeah, yeah. It's a taboo in some um, um, tribes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a taboo in some tribes for women to sing at the drum. Yeah. Interesting. Like, is there like a cultural reason for that or like a historical reason? Well, there's lots of stories like, um, like there's cultural stories that have to do with like, like being a woman and the power that you have. And that um, there's also another story that like, um, like, like. Um, the drum was a gift from, um, from, from the past, right. From another being. And so it came to the people through ceremony, right. There's, there's another story like that. And it was for the men and it was for the men to, um, for their cleansing, for their spirit, just like a sweat lodge. There's like all sorts of different stories. There's another story. Um, but what I was told was that like, um, the drum just represented Mother Earth and that the sound that it made was was the sound of um, what my my baby heard in my stomach. And when you put the drum to your face and talk and it, it, you hear the echoing, that that's what your baby hears when they hear the mother talk, right? And while they're in your stomach. And then so belly, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> and so... And so there's that there's that um, unity of um, Mother Earth, right? Because the tree of life, you know, um, um, the the frame of the drum is wood. So there's that teaching into it, and Mother Earth. It's the way it's shaped, and also like Father Sky, you know. And and we wouldn't have these elements without those two, um, without the un- unity of those those um two which is like you know nature and water because we can't live without water so there's a lot of teachings that go in it and like i said i'm just telling you like 30 seconds of like all the years that i've been learning right so i've heard many many stories but um the one where my mother where my grandmother validated it was that it came to our people and it was the women that would you know, pick it up again. And, and we would teach our sons and our sons kind of like the seventh generation aspect to the loss of our culture. And so I felt that was very important for me being the woman and learning these elements. And I have a son. And so now he wants to powwow dance. So his time is ready. He wants to learn about music, you know, and I have all this knowledge that I can tell him. So, <laughs> yeah. And you would have yeah. never been able to uh, achieve the success and accomplishments if you didn't, you know, pursue that. 
Yeah, if I didn't take the risks yeah. and challenges that were brought to me, because there was a lot. How about you, Carmen? What kind of got you on the path of music and kind of pursuing that that hip hop and rap? Man, honestly, for me, I, I, I started at a young age. Um, like I've been into music since uh, I was 10 years old. Um, I remember writing raps and freestyling and I thought it was the coolest thing. Uh, before that, like my mom uh, remembers when I was like in grade three or something uh, that I was musically inclined. There was a music teacher that said that I could play instruments that, and not even know what they were type thing. And that I wrote poetry and, and stuff. And like, you know, roses are red, violets will do type thing for my mom. And, but as time went on, uh, music for me was more like, like a release. Like I was bullied a lot. You know, like I, 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 I was a big kid growing up, so I had confidence issues. But what made me really fall in love with the music aspect was that, like I used to listen to a lot of heavy metal. You know, we used to be a skater, trying to be a skater. <laughs> and um, my brother introduced me to hip hop. He introduced me to uh, the Fat Boys. And he introduced me to, uh, you know, KRS-One. And then Dougie Fresh and all all these all the like originally Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five like I I grew up with an older brother that was really into hip hop and if it wasn't for him like I even documented in songs like if it wasn't for my brother I wouldn't have never met hip hop you know because uh, I was on a different vibe at the time <laughs> but when I when I when I found hip hop it, it was just so like it just reached to me. Like, I don't even... Yeah, it's kind of has that visceral kind of emotional, like you're just kind of pouring out your soul and experiences in it. And, and I'm, I'm not going to lie, too. Uh, you know, with heavy metal, with heavy metal and all that stuff, you know, it's like, uh, oh, man, how can I say with heavy metal? You got to learn instruments. <laughs> you know, you got to you gotta be, you know, no guitars and stuff like that. For me, I, I just didn't, I wanted to do something, but at the same time, I was a kid. I was lazy. Yeah. Um, I did try guitar lessons when I was a kid, but they said my fingers are too chubby. <laughs> Real talk. I just started rapping and my brother showed me rapping. And then I started rapping because I wanted to be like him. Like my brother was all into breakdancing, doing windmills, all sorts of shit. He was really athletic. And I always wanted to be like my brother because I grew up with no father. You know, my brother was my father and my brother at the same time. Like he, he was like the main reason I did a lot of things in my life because he showed interest and he showed interest in what like you know positive like yeah you're pretty good you know so i took that into into school and i was like at the time i was a big kid and i remember i went to my first name rap name was kool-aid the chubby cree kool-aid as in like the kool-aid man yeah <laughs> and the chubby cree as in the chubby cree but the reason i i named like i got named kool-aid back in school because I wore this big red t-shirt. Now I was like over 300 pounds in school. So I wore this nice red Ralph Lauren t-shirt. Next thing you know, you know, I heard, hey, Kool-Aid. <laughs> and it was really disrespectful at first. But after a while, like I, I just kind of kind of started brushing it off and getting more into music. And so freestyling and stuff became like my defense mechanism. It was dirty. Yeah. Oh, it was it was my defense mechanism. So when when I was uh, when I when I would go to school, people that were like 
being disrespectful to me in a sense, like I would rap about it, you know? And, and then it went from, hey, Kool-Aid to, what up, Kool-Aid? Hey, what up, dog? You know, how you doing, man? You know, like it, it, my, my confidence that I grew with hip hop kind of turned people's uh, thought process on me. You know, like I, if they call me chubby or fat, yeah, my name is the Chubby Creed. You know, like I, I turned whatever kind of diss they had against me. But I also was a, a study of the arts. So I was like lyrically on point, you know, like you, you called yourself a rapper. I didn't care who you were, where we were standing, what we were doing, if it was on a bus stop or something, if you called yourself a rapper, I battled you. And that led to me meeting War Party. Uh, War Party was my first group. And from then on, we just toured and did everything. And, you know, and by the time I was um, becoming a, an adult, we were just getting our like first record deals and, you know, and, 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 and getting on much music and all sorts of kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So it was, it, it started excelling really fast once we started breaking the market because we had to break the market. We had to make the market. There was no native rappers before. And the people that were native rappers before us were like in the States or something like that. And this was before the internet. So, you know, you had to really know what you were doing. Yeah, a lot of challenges. And yeah. just to verify a little bit of that, like where I come from, where when I was in Cross Lake, um, in my community, I was finishing up high school. So I'm like 17, 18. And then um, um, we would have like, we had the satellite channel. So our station, our TV station had to like play like they would go record the stuff and then play it. And then so some of our much music videos that we would see were were constant repeats, right, for hours on end. And then so that's how we were introduced to War Party, because oh, thank <laughs> God that that person recorded music that day. Yeah. <laughs> like when we started making videos, this is where like the hustle really got intense because um, we, we obviously put every bit of money that we ever made to to back into it you know um and the hustle got so giant that like our first video i think was the budget was roughly thirty five thousand dollars and we filmed it on the reservation we had these people coming out filming on the reservation and that started the grind that was a video fact grant actually and we were the first natives to ever get on much music with a video fact grant for hip-hop you know um, the, the work that we did back then paved the way and made the market, like I said. Like, if, if we had to be, we're from Hobie, Alberta, if we had to be in Winnipeg, there was no flights. No one was buying rappers' flights. We had to drive there, you know. When we first made our first record that got signed to EMI Canada, um, we, <laughs> I remember driving to Winnipeg with no insurance uh, <laughs> with, with all of us because we had to get there to record. And we stayed in the studio. We stayed at the studio and we just recorded. And then we went back home, you know? And that was way before, that's, that's, that was way before I ever met Lisa, but that was the first time I ever went to Winnipeg, you know? And, and I, all I remember about that time was the studio and pizza. Well, I, I have, a, <laughs> I have a, an experience about the studio as mm -hmm. to why I became an artist later. Mm -hmm was that same studio he's talking about there used to be this um, rapper named mm -hmm. taco and he was here in the city and he wanted to record some you know native mm -hmm. lyrics our native sound and his music 
back mm-hmm. in the day. And then so we went there. And then I remember just all of a sudden my dad got really upset and was like, no, you're not allowed to do it because there was like no deal or anything. And inside any, I don't know what yeah. the big deal was. But I guess as you get older, you're like, yeah, I guess my dad was just trying to look out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I remember I remember talking to you. Like I, when I first came to Winnipeg, he was at the same studio. And this is this is funny because we battled each other. Like I told you, I, I didn't give a shit. You were, you were a rapper. You were a target. Like for me, that's what it was. I remember I got into a lot of like heated battles with people and they were like trying to threaten us because I would beat them, you know, and like, and they would like threaten us and stuff. And, and but that was just the come up, you know, that's for me. Hip hop was like the perfect thing because I can be a beast on stage and I can be a beast on on this and that. And a lot of people would, would be like, to me, like, you're so different on stage when, instead of like how I'm talking to you now, you know, like you, when you're on stage, you're just like, holy, like, I'm, I can't believe it. But when you're talking, you're just so like humble. Like you, you're, you don't seem anything like you're Yeah, the, the persona is so And different. I wanted it to be like that. I wanted it to be like that since I came up because honestly, that stage is like therapy. You know, like you can go out there and be somebody that you always wanted to be lyrically and get out there and just prove yourself to people, you know, but you don't have to carry that off the stage. You know, you can just, you don't have to be overly confident in people's face and make them feel like shit all the time. You know, you you leave that for battles. That's for battles and stuff. So yeah, man, like that's what really got me into hip hop was just, for me it was life in general you know coming from the reservation we wanted to prove to people that it can that it can happen we turned our hobby into a lifestyle and we turned that lifestyle into a movement and we turned that movement in general into like full circle because a lot of these rappers nowadays they 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 look at me you know as 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 like a vet, like as you guys were the first ones, you guys are this and that, and I'm only yeah, you, you you paved the way. Yeah, and I'm like I'm only I'm only I keep telling them talk about me like I'm super mega old. <laughs> Sometimes I still not making music, <laughs> you know. Like I'm I I still just I've been dropping music, you know. Like I've always had a song that was playing in every genre, every aspect of of rap music, from like the gangster rap to this and that. I always I always had music. Like I grew up with it so you know like it that's what really got me into it because we we just wanted to make something from nothing and prove to the natives out here in the country that you can be successful if you have enough drive you know it wasn't just wanting to be the man i just didn't want i wanted to prove to people that us natives are not just what you see in the news what you hear on this, we scout people, we're drunks, we're this and that. Because back in the day, in the media, that's all you heard about with natives. And and when I, you don't have no idea how many times I've done shows with people, major artists, and they they're freaking out. Like you guys are still alive. You guys are sad. You guys ain't living in teepees. You guys are living in igloos. Like like this is real talk. These are real art. Like I've opened up for Wu Tang. You know, I opened up for Ice. Like. Uh, Mac 10 and, and, and Westside Gang, all these people, and that's the same thing. Their perspective on natives was, I can't believe you're still here. <laughs> so that alone dro- drove us to want to talk more about our culture and get it out there to people because that's where we're from. You know, we wanted people to understand our struggles, 
on tape. We wanted to be able to paint those soundscapes for the people that don't know how to read or stuff like that. You know, we wanted to be able to paint something visually that you can relate to. And, you know, we, we put our whole life in, 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 the, in that music. And I've, I've, I've done it ever since. So. Yeah, fighting those um, misconceptions and racist depictions of uh, First Nations people. Yeah, it's stereotypes, like, you know? The stereotypes. Yeah, that, the media has, has created uh, First Nations kind of as a monolith that all these different cultures and peoples are all the same and kind of like, oh, they're living in the past. It's like, what What, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and so we just wanted to just come out and just represent for our people and be those not spokespersons, but the harder we work, that's what it ended up kind of being, you know, because we were like the representatives. So and nowadays you hear all these new rappers and all these new native rappers and everybody kind of, that's so refreshing to me because at one point there was a time when you, you couldn't, you, you, you'd have every native rapper in the country in one room, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But now there's so, so widespread, it's awesome. It's and how did they end up in one room? <laughs> well, I'm just saying. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, it's, it, it, it's super cool uh, to hear about that. And yeah, it, it's great to hear that, uh, uh, native uh, cultures and individuals they have the opportunity to come out and showcase their their, their culture yeah. and their music and kind of their their personal sound yeah you're showcasing it for uh people uh, outside of uh, uh native communities mm-hmm. but you know uh, for mem- people who are not a member of the nations how can we better understand um your and other uh, uh first nations people's culture history and experiences i mean Music seems to be one of those great avenues. I think when people like who are newcomers to this town and then they hear like all this content and they're like just randomly checking out hip hop artists and then they come across a native artist and then they hear all this hard content about like, you know, the past and blah and this and that. And all of a sudden some way, uh, hey, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I'm pretty sure that can be a little by a bit a little bit like not much but like intriguing to be like whoa what is all this you mm-hmm. know this is a lot of like mm-hmm. ear candy <laughs> 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 but i mean like i get i guess to describe that person who's just like you know on uh, not only a newcomer but but people who are just opening their mind to different sound because mm-hmm. that's what this is is opening your mind to different sound like for example just just yesterday I got a call. Um, if you order mucklucks from Manitoba mucklucks, <laughs> but if you order a pair of Manitoba mucklucks and you're put on hold, you'll hear my music. Right. And so because of things like that, I had a woman from Washington contact me and tell me that, turn that low. she, she contacted me and she, and she was like, you know, non-native or, and she clearly said, you know, I'm, I'm a white woman. <laughs> she said, she said, and she said, but when I was ordering Mukluk, she said, and I heard your sound, your music, I, I just couldn't get it out of my head. As a matter of fact, I'm, I keep calling to find out. Right. But she wasn't like, I guess, oriented to find out, um, um, like, like she's a bit older, so she doesn't know how to navigate around the technology, like downloading from Apple and stuff like that. And so, so she actually reached out to me 
and like and she's coming from like old age music like she's like i listen to pianist elvis presley you know all this stuff she's she's naming she's like but when i heard you it was all like it felt like it was like so full of heart and soul and then so she said in it and it really uplifted and it healed me and i and it and and I'm not the kind of person to reach out, but it wanted me to reach out to you to tell you, you know, thank you for that. And then, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that indigenous people, when they're singing this type of music, it's all about heart and soul, just as much as an artist puts it into their guitar, mm -hmm. as much as they put it into whatever instrument that they play. Right. Because the music that comes from us is already embedded in our DNA. It comes from our ancestors, right? We're just tuning into ourselves and using these sounds um, with who we are today. And so I know there's some people that are against, you know, mixing indigenous music into, um, into like modern mainstream, like hip hop, you know? You might have some people that might not like what we're doing because they're, they're, they have their traditions too and their teachings and whatnot right but at the same time it's like how are we going to teach a new generation about sound if we're not gonna you know find a new way to do things right like like if i can if if, if me and him can make music together and then and then another person just wow what's that sound you know and then they're sitting in some community not knowing who their culture is, then that's the spark. That's the spark for someone to find out their identity because the content in the music describes what happened. And so to anyone listening to music, when it comes to native music, to um, and you hear a lot, of, a lot of history, the first thing you should do is learn about our history. Take the time to, um, um, and it's all available on Google. Look at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Look at the history of residential school, because the colonization processes have been happened all over the world, right? But look at how um, it happened in our country, because like today we're still fighting for clean water. You know, we're still fighting for. Um, uh, murdered and missing women you know we're still fighting you know we just had a um we're we're having emergency um what do you call that we're having state, state of, of emergencies, emergencies in northern communities due to high suicide rates you know so so these are the important messages of what's going on in our community so we we find a way to put it in songs to understand that this is what's really going on you know we we're we're all not just a bunch of natives that wear feathers and you know go dance at a, you know a powwow you know we're we have many different faces many different backgrounds you know and and it's just all about how we learn about who we are because we've had um our culture almost wiped out right you had the residential school you had the 60s scoop right and you've had all these traumatic events that happened to our people so it's our generation like carmen and i and the ones after who are the ones who will pick it up again so yeah. if we can come together and create that spark and generate that you know spark or that interest then you know it it, it means that we've done our part you know to help young people start that healing process so to speak right because 
um, maybe keep in mind and have learned empathy and compassion about, you know, the people on the street because they've had such a hard life and background. You know, there's so much toxicity and dysfunction that as a result of these systems, right? And then, and then people say, oh, you guys get over it. Well, we can't because we live it daily. You know, my dad was in residential school. You know, my mom went to day school. I went to day school, but at the time it was just ending. So, so it, it, there was no abuse. I just have memory of a nun being my teacher. Yeah. So, so things like that, right. It's still very new and I'm not that old. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's still a fresh wound. Yeah. It's still a fresh wound in many people's hearts. Even, even us too, as, as a family who we are, people are like, oh, you guys are so cool. You know, like, like you guys are the ones that, that we want to be like, we want, you know, like that we aspire to be a couple like you. Well, if you want to be a couple like us, then do the healing, do your work and let's break those old cycles of those inter of those traumas from, you know, those processes that were implemented towards our people. Are you finding newer generations of people more receptive to uh, native culture? Oh yeah, like like we got platforms like TikTok. We got younger people coming up. You know, they're they're um, they're they're jumping on these platforms ready to educate, right? And so, you know, it's it it's how do I say that? Like I, I give a lot of, um, I have a lot of, I feel very grateful and I have a lot of gratitude for those people that actually stand up and do that on those platforms because it takes a lot. You got to break from your self-confidence and not only that, some don't even have the resources like, like high speed internet, you know, there's, there's, there's thousands and thousands of native people out there. Only we just haven't, some of us haven't found internet yet, high speed internet, you know, so they're coming still, they're going to be coming. And so um, we just have to continue to trailblaze and, and make way for our upcoming generation because they're loud. Hopefully as you know, more people are able to share their voice and, and their culture and, you know, people, uh, the public works towards getting um, legislation and things so everyone can have access to like technology and systems will start you know seeing more of this culture mm-hmm. I think so because like for example we got people like I'll take my community for example um, we don't have high, high speed internet we're still in the process of you know um, um, accessing the high speed internet the 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 proper technology that you need to run that up there but um like there's people up there that are doing land-based teachings there's young people out there that know how to cut fish you know they they still know their traditions and culture only they just don't have the resources to share that right but they but um they're coming out there like we're starting to see them when they do have access um internet starting to go further and further mm-hmm. um we also have another opportunity to teach music to a group of kids in yukon you know so there's changes that are going on and regardless like even though there's covid and stuff people are finding ways it's just you know being adaptable to the new changes and, and there's so much we can learn from like uh, uh, native cultures going green 
uh, native cultures have been talking about that for centuries. Like, why is yeah. it taking everyone else so long to catch? Them? Yeah, like, well, even people are talking about these magical keto diets where you don't eat like, or diets where you don't eat starches and carbs. Uh, I think that was our diet pre-contact, <laughs> <laughs> and they're selling them for high amounts of dollars. And so it is—it's just—it's funny to see sometimes. You've been really open about your medical journey uh, with your kidneys. Why did you feel it was important to be transparent and open about it? When we first found out, I was in denial. You know, it was it was it was oddly scary, but yet I didn't believe it. You know, and we I kind of went into a little funk uh, for like the first week, and uh, me and Lisa sat down and. We were like, do we want to be quiet and suffer in quietness? Or do we want to, you know, tell people about it? You have fans, you have family, you have you have people that look up to you. And I have my background, there's people and there's um, family members in my family that uh, are diabetic and who um, are already have kidney failure and on dialysis. And like I said, my, I lost my cousin to kidney failure. So I already had a background in it. And that was a, an important discussion we had to have was, do we want to be truthful or do we want to, I said, because people are going to know that you're going to be sick as time goes on. You know, like we had to think of the long run. We had to think of the short run. We had to, there's all sorts of things. And, um, so it was, it was a really harsh reality at first. Dialysis is uh, scary. Uh, back in Winkler, I was talking to uh, a, an individual a, a while back, and he was just showing how uh, they had to like repurpose his veins, yeah, so that you could get the the flow. Yeah, it, it was just kind of mind blowing, and how yeah. long he's been waiting for a kidney transplant. It's 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 definitely different because like I had like not every day is the same. You know, not every kidney patient is going through the same thing. And that's something that I had to learn because like my, my father, he passed away from liver and kidney failure, you know, and uh, I didn't even understand it back then. You know, I had no clue. All I know is that me and my dad had a choppy relationship when his kidneys are starting to fail. He tried to ask me for one when I was younger. So I, that, you know, I never really had my dad. So for him to ask me that at the time was kind of crazy. But when we decided to be more transparent, it was just we wanted to educate people more about this. I wanted to bring more. Like it's like something just triggered in me that I wanted to. I wanted to let people know that it's not a death sentence when you you have kidney disease. I wanted people to to know that it's don't, like not to be scared. And if you want to know more about it, then let my journey educate you let our journey educate you and then me as the caregiver too and then us having kids we're like this is a bit too big to hide (laughs) because we were very (laughs) public people Mm -hmm. and then so so we're like okay well we'll just be real with it you know even when the raw happens Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. let let's be real as and and share what we know and we, we even want to um do a podcast so if there's anyone out there that wants to (laughs) donate or help us get started or teach us some ropes um we want to do that too so um i think as him as the patient um, we wanted to share his journey and also he's an o negative 
And so um, an O negative meant that um, he had an, a, a rare blood type. And so that was another, another issue in the journey is that when you're an O negative blood type, the wait list is a lot longer. Yeah, I was, I was going yeah, to touch rarity on that. Of it. I was going to let you know about that. Is that like my, my blood type makes my journey half more time than the regular uh, blood type. Like blood, regular blood type is four to five. Uh, my blood type is eight to 10. So we were in this for the long haul. And when I first started uh, my journey, I opted out for PD dialysis, which is parenteal dialysis. And that's like, like it's like an oil change, a manual oil change every four, four times a day, you know. Um, and with peritoneal dialysis, he had a <laughs> catheter inserted in his abdomen. Yeah. And then when you, you, you put the bag and it drains into your abdomen and then the, the stuff like drains out and you do that four times a day. But as time went on with the journey, um like we just wanted we just wanted to be like i want to go back to being transparent is that we just wanted to be transparent and so that like i said it is scary at first and people are gonna if it snuck up on me the way it did i guarantee there's many 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 people out there that it snuck up on you know and i'm just uh lucky enough to have the support i have i know there's people out there that don't have support they don't have people in their corner like I have in my corner and 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 we wanted to just put the story out there with the hopes of that people will find hope in in the story and also there was an underlining thing there too that I wanted to put the story out there hoping that I can reach somebody that wanted to reach out and be a donor you know I mean we have a platform so I wanted to be able to use the platform for positive things. I wanted to be able to use a platform, even though kidney disease is a real negative <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it affects me every day, but I wanted to be able to teach people that, you know, it's not gonna fully kill you if you take the right steps and don't be scared about it. You know, like the surgeries come with it. There's a lot of anxiety, some depression that come with it and stuff, but you have to be strong mentally especially if you have people looking up to you and i have a lot of people looking up to me but the main ones are my wife and my kids you know so i have to be there for them as much as i can so i took the right steps and we we took the right steps to be labeled that kidney family you know and i don't mind it at all because this is the new normal for us and it's going to be the new normal now for until i get a transplant let's change your perspective mm -hmm. if we can put it into uh, different terms it, it's like one of your uh your mm -hmm. labors like hercules one of the 12 labors <laughs> of hercules <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you gotta you go through this trial and you'll come out stronger in the end yeah exactly and i i honestly i'm gonna just say this I, if i didn't have my wife with me on this i don't know where i would be she's the yin to my yang she's you know she's the one that's that's on top of everything and and that's something too that a lot of people don't talk about with kidney disease is that is, is the caregiver aspect. The caregiver goes through a lot and there's really no programs or support programs for the caregivers of kidney patients, which is unbelievable to me, you know, but there isn't really. And, and that's why like, 
that's why we were so animated and just show people you know we wanted we wanted to show people that it's it's just possible to live good oh. <laughs> this is my daughter this is my daughter Charlie. hello say hi hi <laughs> nice to meet this you this is one of the reasons why we fight so hard and to stay alive you know this is the only reason why we're, we're such a good team is these kids they have a new single out called To Stand Together, and you can find out more details about it on ascribeproduction.com. If you have any stories you'd like us to share or communities we should highlight, leave a comment on our social media or reach out to us on our website. I'm Ryan Funk, this was You Talk, and have yourself a good one.